Part three of session 83. Let's talk about the body prior and after the veil. Let's begin. As you might already know, Don has been really interested in the conditions before the veil, as he seems to think that this is going to provide good information for him to understand uh, the process of third density in our current state post-veil. And a lot of the questions are in that regard. Uh, I have to say that I find, I personally find um, not much information that is useful in terms of how to uh, process catalysts and how to uh, live catalysts. There's always, of course, a tangential um, value that exists in understanding how things work in the past or prior to the veil. Uh, but I do find it a bit um, um, bleak is not the word, it's just not, not enough information and not enough practical uh, things in there. But we'll do what we can with this information and see what we can, uh, we can get out. If anything, this material also has the possibility of us going into a mental journey of how things work and worked in the past. And uh, one of the things that I love doing about this and I will explain is how, how the model of consciousness only uh, fits here. Because that is, if we're talking about, which is really what this, this last part of the session seems to be uh, oriented towards is the, the mechanics of the creation of the physical creation might as well, instead of think about it as matter or energy, we think about it as consciousness, because consciousness is the only thing that really exists. Matter is a sort of perception that we get out of the perception of division or perception in general, perception is division. So from that regard, I think it's, uh, I can be helpful and hopefully paint a good image. Um, but yeah, in terms of how, which is what Don wanted to know, how to uh, understand better third density and our purpose and everything else, I, I tend to find marginal information only. But let's pick up from where we left last session, which was, um, I think I covered 17. Yeah, so we'll go to 18, that's the next question. There we go. Question 18, Don says, specifically, by what process in the first case, when two polarized entities would attempt to penetrate the veil, whether they be positively or negatively polarized, specifically by what technique would they penetrate the veil? Uh, let me give, uh, actually, I should have, I should have finished with question 18 in the last video. So let me summarize what Ra said in question 17, and it was about um, how to penetrate the veil, right? What did Don ask? Um, yeah, so Ra has said in question 16 that 
there was the possibility of penetration of the veil due to the interaction of polarized entities working together. And so uh, Don wanted to know a little bit more and Ross said that there are two things. One is that um, there, is, there is an extreme potential of polarization in a relationship of two people who seek together, whether that be in the positive or the negative path. And then there is the doubling effect, which is the more people who are together in, in a session of seeking, or for example, if you get together to meditate or you live in a group or a society or a whole civilization, that has a doubling effect. And we've talked about that, so I won't get into those details. But those are the two things, right? So that's what Don is asking here. Specifically, by what process in the first case, when two people uh, seek together and attempt to penetrate the veil, what technique would they uh, use to penetrate the veil? So this this is actually pretty good information, I have to say. Uh, it's the rest that gets into more of the, the body and how it was prior to the veil that I was saying in the introduction. So this is valuable information. So let's get to it. Penetration of the veil. Ross says the penetration of the veil may be seen to begin to have its roots in the gestation of green ray activity, that all that all compassionate love which demands no return. If this path is followed, the higher energy centers shall be activated and crystallized until the adept is born. Within the adept is the potential for dismantling the veil to a greater or lesser extent that all may be seen again as one. The other self is primary, primarily now is primary catalyst in this particular path to the pre-piercing of the veil, if you would call it that. So oh, I'm going to spend a good amount of time here because this is very valuable, actually. So I was actually reading, believe it or not, I had not read The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. And I was reading the book and I'm actually at the section where this is very synchronistic actually, where he's explaining the relationships. If you have read The Power of Now, uh, refer to the section where he talks about um, relationships for spiritual development or something like that. I have the book open on my Kindle, so I can probably take a look at it. Um, but yeah, it's all about this uh, bringing the relationship to, to the level of consciousness, of awareness. And Ra is talking about that mechanism here. What happens? How do we penetrate the veil? So I also have my own experience with Julie, which is something that I explained in the last video uh, to a degree. And I can speak anecdotally about this. And um, I also want to mention something that I said before, and it's that it doesn't have to be a romantic relationship. And that's a funny thing because uh, as we went through our process, me and Julie, we, we were sitting one day <clears throat> and we were thinking about what are we? Like, what do we tell people we are? Uh, you're not my girlfriend, my friend, my wife. Like you seem to be everything and nothing at the same time. 
Like, no word describes this at this point. Especially because we have uh, family or friend couples who uh, still define themselves as, you know, sort of owning each other without using the word, of course, because that would reveal the um, the reality behind their their relationship. It's just, uh, it, which is, it's something good, you know, if you're a seeker and you're open to this, it's good that you realize that you have this uh, sort of... Um, attachment, passionate attachment, I would call it, to to the other person. So, again, um, there, this paragraph summarizes everything, and I'll get to that, but let's first talk about the, the, the landscape here. In a relationship, and I said, it doesn't have to be a romantic relationship, but just anybody, it can be your friend, it could be your brother or sister or parents, it could be... As long as you're doing this together and you have obviously a relationship and the thing is that romantic relationships tend to be the strongest because we uh, we seek those relationships out of the biggest scarcity. It's almost like they seem to reunite all those things that are missing in me. So there are great mirrors. So I'm just going to talk about that, but let me say that... Uh, People in general are the mirrors and romantic relationships are probably the best and why they will accelerate this process. Now, there's a couple of scenarios here in a relationship. And again, I'm talking specifically now about romantic relationships. And that is that both are unconscious, right? Which is the typical relationship that we find. This is uh, they're both unconscious, uh, and they may be getting into a uh, conscious, to a degree of consciousness with each other. Um, but to be to be thorough, uh, I'm going to talk about the complete clarity, which is what I, uh, I sort of, we, me and Julie, agree together to to go through that process of just complete clarity. What is going on? What is it that I miss? And it's a, that's a whole topic that I, I could probably do a whole um, series of videos on this because it has been, <laughs> we're gonna reach 20 years together now. So th the point is that you have to get to, the, to that point to bring out consciousness into the relationship. Let me put it in practical terms. In essence, you have to tell your, uh, your other self who is sharing this experience with you i am going to accept you and i'm going to accept you in every possible way so you be whatever you want to be and all the catalysts that i feel i am responsible for and you are going to do the same see it's a, it's not an easy thing to do but if it's done then this will happen Okay, so that's the, the situation. You have to bring consciousness, awareness to the relationship. And awareness is a synonym for acceptance. Never forget that. Awareness is also uh, a synonym for true unconditional love, not the type of love that is selective. That's different. That is a contraction of love and it's not pure love. So what does Ross say about this? 
They say the penetration of the veil may be seen to begin to have its roots in the gestation, gestation meaning um, forming, cultivating, uh, bringing, like a baby is gestating in the womb. So the gestation of the green ray activity, so the heart, opening the heart. What, what does the heart mean? Acceptance. What does the heart mean? Love, unconditional love, not just preference love, which is lower chakra love. In other words, limited love, not unconditional. So that is, uh, it begins to have its roots. The penetration of the veil begins to have its roots basically on acceptance. That all compassionate love or unconditional love, which demands no return, meaning you can be whoever you want and I won't be saying, oh, you need to do this for me because you need to fill out my, my, my holes and uh, you are necessary for me. Don't leave me. Don't do this because I'm going to get upset. You're protecting your own uh, development or guarding or armoring your own development, limiting it because you just want to be satisfied with your partner being the way uh, you want them to be. No, you have no demands in return, nothing. Okay, if that is established, then if this path is followed, says Ra, the higher energy centers shall be activated and crystallized until the adept is born. Obviously, if the heart is open, let me explain something that happens here too. If you're able to accept your partner as unconditionally, then the heart is open, see? And by the heart being open, and let me just say this too, if you have a relationship, most of your catalyst comes from him or her. If you're able to deal with that, you're healing yourself as well. Everything is happening here. Polarization is happening. All of it at the same time. All of this obviously makes way for the higher energy centers. That's what Ron is saying. So you open and crystallize those. They shall be activated and crystallized. Within the adept is the potential for dismantling the veil to a greater or lesser extent that all may be seen again as one. That word oneness again is another synonym for awareness. Awareness has no discernment. Awareness simply knows. And that feeling of knowing is the same feeling of oneness. So the more you allow acceptance to be, the more you accept yourself and the other, the more you're going to accept even other people. You see, other selves. So all of it, all of this makes sense and clicks with everything that uh, that I know experientially, and that other people, like I said, Eckhart Tolle is talking about in his book, which I highly recommend if you haven't. Um, it's um, it's one of the few books that I recommend anybody to read, honestly, because it has such a broad. Um, audience for people to to assimilate and even people who are so into uh, complexities like this I recommend it now what is Ra finishing saying the other self is primary catalyst in this particular path to the piercing of the veil if you would call it that I think I just uh, 
explain this enough. The other person will be the primary catalyst in this particular path to piercing the veil. Now, here is where I'll, where I'll say, um, and you know me by this, some people don't like when I say these things, um, but I'll say it anyways. This is not necessary. <laughs> some people get upset and say, oh, stop saying it's not necessary. Uh, it could be necessary for some people. So I'm not saying, you know, don't go. I mean, I, I'm talking about my own experience here, right? So why why would I, don't I want to tell people to do what I, what I went through? Of course, that's the easiest path for me but uh, for teaching, but I like to play devil's advocate. It's not necessary for you to have somebody and uh, you have a romantic relationship because guess what? You don't need it, period. It's not necessary, you don't need it. All you need is to know yourself. By knowing yourself, you're able to project yourself more and more on others. And then that's your catalyst, that's your mirrors. It could be other people, like I said, at the beginning of this uh, question, I said friends, family, co-workers, uh, whatever it is. And even ex-boyfriends, ex-girlfriends, ex-wives, ex-husbands, all of them. All of them are your, your universe, all your mirrors. But all right, let's move on. In question 19, Don says, what was the mechanism of the very first veiling process? I don't know if you can answer that. Would you try to, though, answer that? Ra simply says, the mechanism of the veiling between the conscious and unconscious portions of the mind was a declaration that the mind was complex. This, in turn, caused the body and the spirit to become complex. So that's pretty simple. I'll just move on. Don says, would you give me an example of a complex activity of the body that we have now and how it was not complex prior to the veil? Ra says, prior to the great experiment, a mind-body-spirit was capable of controlling the pressure of blood in the vein, the beating of the organ you call the heart, the intensity of the sensation known to you as pain, and all the, all the functions now understood to be involuntary or unconscious. So just to backtrack a little bit on the other question. Um, the mechanism of the veil, as Ra explained, was simply the veiling of the conscious mind with the unconscious. That's what we call it now. In the past, when there was no veil, we couldn't call it unconscious. There was just one consciousness, one mindful consciousness, if you will. So that's the drawing of the veil, as I have explained several times already. I don't think I need to be redundant. Uh, but then Don wants uh, an example of the, the body. So here's, here's the thing. Uh, Ra said that once the, the mind was complex, meaning that it forgot, it couldn't know what was happening or why it was happening, then the body and the spirit became complex because if the mind doesn't see, then the influx of the bodies working and the influx of the spirit's or reflection, let's say, or integration into the complex or the entity, it becomes veiled too. So the game, the level of difficulty of the game has been increased. <laughs> uh, and challenge accepted, said the creator, because in the end, it's all well and good. So 
all right, so prior to the great experiment, which was veiling the conscious of the unconscious mind, and what a brilliant thing to do, of course. Um, the mind, body, spirit was capable of controlling basically the whole body. You see, we are able to control our breath, or so we think. At least we have that. That that's why in uh, I love that they use the word involuntary, right? All the functions now understood to be involuntary, they were voluntary in the past. Now the breath, this is why the breath is so emphasized in so many practices, um, anything really, because you can control your breath consciously, right? You can become aware of the breath. Do it now. I know you're doing it because otherwise you're not paying attention. <laughs> you're becoming you're becoming aware of your breath and you sort of feel that well, there's a part of me that wasn't oxygenated. And you just breathe, right? But sometimes it just seems to be involuntary. You're not paying attention and your breathing is going, right? So um, this is this is the threshold that we we find and use in this path uh, of, of becoming mindful of everything that's happening in your body. So now we, we have that in, in the past, prior to the veil, I should say, we were able to control everything else. Not anymore. You see, the mind is not able to do that, but at least the breath was part of what's left. So you can imagine now a veil or some mechanism that, you see, the mind is really controlling everything because there's only the mind. The mind is doing the, um, the filtering of pure consciousness through a series of parameters. See, that's the mind working. That's why in the Kibalion it said, all is mind. That's the first principle. Everything in the universe is mind. Yes, of course, all is mind. The mind is what's making everything. So the mind doing everything, if we veil the mind to specific mechanisms, then we won't be able to see how we do it, but it's doing it. The mind is beating the heart. It's not the body beating the heart. The body is perceived as something physical because the mind is filtering those patterns in that way, you see? Uh, but that's why we also say that all of this physical things that we see is illusory. It's not that I say it, Ra says it, and every other mystic in history has discovered this. Oh, everything is an illusion, it's not real. What's real is the awareness of it. That's the only thing that's real, everything else fluctuates. It's not, it's not rooted in anything, <laughs> you know, it's like a screen depicting the movie and everybody's pointing at the movie and say, look, 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 it's so real. You know, 4K, 8K, 16K, whatever it is that we're up to now. It's so knitted and so, um, so vivid. It's so real and it's not. <laughs> look at those C um, CRT TVs. Oh, they don't look real. This looks real. No, none of them. Both of them are just lights flashing so fast that they make you uh, feel that there is something in there. So yeah. Um, that's the mind, it's perceiving all of this. And now imagine a, a mind that is veiled so that you, you're no longer aware of the breath, but you know the mind is doing it and the external stimulus is uh, 
uh, is causing the breathing to accelerate or decelerate. So experience is causing it. And you say, I have no control of my breath. You do. You're just not aware of it. So that is part of the veiling process. Anyhow, let's move on. Don asks here, and please bear in mind that this question is a negative. Ron is going to say no. Don says in question 21, when the veiling process originally took place, then it seems that the logos must have had a list, you might say, of those functions that would become unconscious and those that would remain consciously controlled. I am assuming that if this occurred, there was good reason for these divisions. Am I in any way correct on this? I know where Don wants to go. Ra says no. Don says, would you correct me, please? Ra explains, there were many experiments whereby various of the functions or distortions of the body complex were veiled and others not. A large number of these experiments resulted in non-viable body complexes or those only marginally viable. For instance, it is not a survival-oriented mechanism for the nerve receptors to blank out unconsciously any distortions towards pain. Makes sense. So again, I want you to see this as not rats in a laboratory. That's how people usually see this. When they read experiments and functions and manipulation, obviously we humans refer to the first thing we think, and that's what we do. <laughs> We're projecting ourselves out there. But if you go deeper into yourself and you see, oh yes, there are, there are no entities playing with this. It's just imagination. This is all imagination, it's a dream. Unless you buy into, of course, the idea that this is a material universe and all of this is happening, and the Anunnakis are doing this experiment. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the people who believe in this. I find it a little bit too, um, uh, too shallow for, for the material that we have in our hands and the view of reality. There are no ETs manipulating us. The whole idea of ETs, and trust me, I went through the whole David Wilcock and Corey Good and Blue Avians and all of this, and I believed in that at first. I actually related it to the, the raw material and all of it. Uh, they were not the reason why I got into the law of one. Think, uh, thanks to my, my first guide into the spiritual path was that I got the raw material, but uh, I found it interesting that they were talking about it. So trust me, I know the whole thing. I know all the rest of the viewfologists out there that are talking about this and discovering the Garden of Eden as a supposedly experiment of Planet X or uh, Nubian, I, I forget. I decided to forget all of that because it just didn't make sense to me. So again, I'm not mocking that. Uh, people believe what they want, but I think it's uh, it's a little too childish at this point for me. That's how we see it. And I know it can get offensive, but um, in common terms, deal with it. <laughs> um, Got to bring humor to this. Can't take things seriously. You can't even take the raw material seriously. Take your, take your life always with a dash of humor and you'll never be wrong. Trust me. Okay, so yeah, no experiments from outside of consciousness everything is consciousness um so how can you picture this obviously if you anybody who has um, if you're creative and you have painted or you have um, written stories or whatever it is you have imagined things you don't have to be an artist you just imagine things 
and you get really into them, you say like, oh, this doesn't make sense. I can't put this here because then it wouldn't make sense there. Imagination needs to have coherence. These are laws. You see, you can't have the hero be the villain at the same time. Uh, you can, you know, if you're clever, but you can't do it all, you know, just haphazardly. You have to be uh, clever. And that's what this, this is, is being clever with what do we veil? Which functions do we veil? Ra is saying that obviously in the first experiments, the first thought experiments, they didn't work. There are things that you can't have uh, completely unconscious. You see, not not aware of my nerve receptors. You see, uh, yeah, that's kind of stupid because we need to survive to have an experience, right? The body needs to survive. So all these things needed to be experimented. Again, experiment. I know I say this because I come from that background and I know that a lot of people follow the raw material because they, although I have to say a lot of people at this point, they stopped watching the raw material. This is a, um, I won't say well recorded, but I've heard in the past how people get into the raw material and after session 30, 40, they're out of it because they're talking about all these mystical things that they don't care about. And uh, I don't care about any of that. Let's talk about Atlantis and cattle mutilation and all of that. That audience already left the, the theater. So, yeah, that's, um, that's how I see it. That's how, how it is. But it could be Anunnaki's. <laughs> it's up to you to determine it, not to me. All right, let's move on. Question 23, Don says... Now, before the veil in uh, the, okay. Now, before the veil, the mind, okay. I don't know why the now should be a coma. I think we should have a coma there. Don says, now, before the veil, the mind could blank out pain. I assumed then that the function of the pain at that time was to signal the body to assume a different configuration so that the source of the pain would leave but then the pain could be eliminated mentally. Is that correct? And was there another function for pain prior to the veiling? So Ross says your assumption is correct. The function of pain at that time was as the warning of the fire alarm to those not smelling the smoke. So that makes sense, of course. Uh, yeah, you... Yeah, I suppose that you can do that. This is how I'm seeing it. Let me let me just reread it because Don gets a really good point. He says, the function of the pain at that time was to signal the body to assume a different configuration so that the source of the pain would leave. Right, so touch something hot or put your hand on the fire, in the fire, and you say, oh, no, thank you. Uh, but then the pain would could be eliminated mentally. Right, so you could just say, oh, this doesn't hurt, and you watch your hand melt in the fire. <laughs> there is no fear of, oh my God, I'm losing my hand because I know everything and I could just lose my hand and suddenly, eventually I'll die because, oh, I don't want to use this body anymore. Like, let me get another one. So we can see a couple of things here. I'm being a little bit um, childish myself here, but yeah, I figured this is what would happen, right? Um, I, I'm going to mention something that I read from, uh, I heard from Sadhguru say, and I think it applies here tremendously. 
Was there another function for pain prior to the veiling? And Ross says your assumption is correct that yes, pain was supposed to uh, signal the body to say, whoa, no, let's not do this. The function of pain at that time was the warning of the fire alarm as uh, the warning of the fire alarm to those not smelling the smoke. Um, makes sense, yes. The pain, just like, this is the classic example. A child touches something that is hot. Pain says, okay, no more. You get, you get, that gets recorded in the mind. Um, so Sadhguru, contemporary uh, mystic, he, they were talking about pain. Uh, it was a discussion with neurologists and they were talking about pain. And it was interesting because everybody was talking about how the mind and you can control the mind and feeling pain and all of this. And Sadhguru says like, pain is a very necessary thing. You have to have pain so you know what's happening in your body. He says, look at how people, and I thought it was brilliant, um, where he says, look at how people are piercing their, themselves, tattooing, mutilating themselves, like all of this is happening despite pain. If we didn't have so much a threshold of pain, like there's a point where you will stop mutilating yourself. He says, people would be opening themselves themselves and flinging their intestines, intestines, always have trouble with that word, uh, their guts, they'll be flinging them around and you know putting them back on and so on. Like that's exactly how the veil was before. You know, you just do everything you want with your body. Look, I'm just going I'm going to show you my heart because I love you. Let me just carve. Oh, wait, pain. I can neutralize that. Here is my pain or my heart. <laughs> if we didn't have pain, we would do a lot of stupid things. So pain keeps us in line with hey, leave the body as it is, respect it, love it, feel it. Uh, by the way, I don't care about um mutilation of the body myself uh, but people of course have shown that in several ways um, I don't have a tattoo or a piercing I feel I felt kind of odd as a teenager or an adult at some point because everybody had those and then at some point I said you know what I'll just leave my body as it is and maybe uh, maybe it's a rare thing to find a body that is not not tattooed or pierced at this point so hey I kind of feel special my ego loves that. <laughs> but yeah, you know, there has to be a limit in the pain that we're willing to accept, right? Um, but all right, that's the, that's the purpose of pain. We know that. Question 24, Don says, then let's say that an entity at that time burned its hand due to carelessness it would immediately remove its hand from the burning object and then, in order to not feel the pain anymore, would mentally cut the pain off until healing had taken place. Is this correct? This is correct, says Ra. So, yeah, let's see what Don says. We would look at this in our present illusion as the elimination of a certain amount of catalyst that would produce an acceleration in our evolution. Is this correct? Ra says, the attitude towards pain varies from mind-body-spirit complex to mind-body-spirit complex. Your verbalization of attitude towards the distortion known as pain is one productive of helpful distortions as regards the process of evolution. Um, I have to admit that this is a little bit confusion, confusing. Your verbalization of attitude towards the distortion known as pain is one productive or helpful distortion as regards the process of evolution. 
Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I am an... Let's go back. So we can do honor to this question. First of all, prior to the veil, you could feel the burn. Um, you could get your hand burned and say, oops, let me just um, limit the pain, no pain, and that's it. So I would basically limit the, the catalyst that, would, that, that, that that pain would have cost me. And that is, uh, that is a limitation on evolution, right? So, okay, good deal. If we do that, we, we miss the point. But then Don says, uh, in our present illusion, we would look at this elimination of a certain amount of catalysts, right? That would produce an acceleration in our evolution. If we would, if we would be able to eliminate it. But then Ross says, and this makes sense, the attitude towards pains varies from person to person. Uh, your verbalization of attitude towards the distortion known as pain is one productive of is one productive of helpful distortions as regard the process of evolution. Oh, I see what the they mean here. So yeah, they're basically saying what you said is one of many distortions that are um, that are helpful for evolution. Period. That's it. Okay. I thought they meant something more profound. <laughs> no. So, yes, it is correct that pain in and of itself allows for evolution because you say, well, I won't do that again, you see, uh, or I'll learn my lesson. Simple. So it helps for evolution. In a very basic way, uh, putting your hand in the fire basically teaches you self-preservation, which in turn... You may say, well, why would I want to preserve myself? You know, that's a, a, an ego survival mechanism. It's not. That is what a lot of people mistake as, since I am God, then I shouldn't care about my body. Yeah, try that. <laughs> Let's see what, where pain leaves you. Um, that's the ascetic view of, of in the past, right? No. You're supposed to, to have this desire to preserve the body, right? Take care of yourself. So it's basically like saying, oh, yeah, I get it. I am God, so I used to care about my body with diet and everything. I'm just going to eat fast food again and, uh, yeah, not care about anything. Well, you try that. See, you want to preserve your body. That's a natural thing to do. So don't mistake that, please. Um, it's not common, but I've heard people sort of insinuate that. And that is just taken out of context. So, no, you want to preserve your body. And that is one helpful distortion towards evolution. Of course, preserving your body. Because the rest is what you learn. Okay, let's move on. Question 26, Don says, What I was trying to indicate was that the plan of the Logos unveiling the conscious from the unconscious in such a way that the pain could not see could not so easily be controlled, would have created a system of catalysts that was not previously usable. Is this general correct? Ross says yes, so yeah, that makes sense. 
Question 27, Don says, now in some cases it seems that this use of catalyst is almost in a runaway condition for some entities, that they are experiencing much more pain than they can make good use of as far as catalytic nature would be concerned. Could you comment on our present condition in the illusion with respect to that particular subject? Okay, this looks promising. Ross says, this shall be the last query of this working of a full length. You may see, in some cases, an entity which either by pre-incarnative choice or by constant reprogramming while in incarnation has developed an Asurian uh, program of catalyst. Such an entity is quite desirous of using the catalyst and has determined, to its own satisfaction, that what you may call the large board needs to be applied to the forehead in order to obtain the attention of the self. Okay, let's first make a pause. I don't know what I usually uh, look for these words, but I think sure it means uh, within context. It seems like it means a lot, right? What is this? Where are you? What does sure mean? I use Google. I use Brave. Hungry, greedy. Ah, that makes sense. Yes. So, yeah, it's... Um, I would say, yeah, Isurians, I would, I think it's more appropriate to call it not hungry or greedy, but, uh, uh, what's the word? Ambitious. Yes, very ambitious. It's not a bad thing. Ambition is not a bad thing. You want to do things, right? Oh, I see. Lawof1.info has... Hunger or greedy. I think ambitious is a better synonym. Okay, so it's a very ambitious way to to program yourself. Such an entity is quite desirous of using catalyst. So all of this paragraph can actually be summarized as um, first of all the question. Yes, the question is explain to me a little bit more how in our present illusion um, how this this uh, this pain helps us to evolve yeah and so Ra explains that uh, in some cases <coughs> an entity will either by pre-incarnative choice and this this sounds to me like a positive entity right um, by pre-incarnative choice or by constant reprogramming of the mind while in incarnation has a lot of catalysts, has programmed itself or allowed itself to have a lot of catalysts. Such an entity wants to use a lot of catalysts basically and has determined to its satisfaction that what you may call the large board needs to be applied to the forehead in order to obtain the attention of the self. So a lot of this is being put in place for uh, for the entity to to evolve, to process, accept all of this. So this makes sense within the spectrum of positive and negative entities. Or Ra has said that the negative entities tend to program themselves very attractive physically and healthy because they don't want to deal with those things, uh, pain and uh, disease and all of this. It doesn't mean that they can develop those, obviously, uh, but they 
they plan themselves that way. Whereas the positive beings tend to program themselves with certain certain limitations, so they can overcome them and still, uh, in essence, wake up. That's the whole purpose of of a wonder or somebody who has opened the heart and decided to come back. In any case, that's just what I see here. It's all about uh, programming, but in this case, Ra's talking about those who put a lot of uh, catalysts in their lives. It's a long answer. Actually, not so long. Uh, Ra says, in these cases, it may indeed seem a great waste of the catalysts of pain and a distortion towards feeling the tragedy of so much pain may be experienced by the other self. However, it is well to hope that the other self is grasping that which it has gone to some trouble to offer itself, that is, the catalyst which it desires to use for the purpose of evolution. May we ask if there are any brief queries at this time? So, um, I think there's something here that I won't be able to uh, interpret fully, and I, I just want to be completely honest with you. I'm just going to reread it because in these cases where there's a lot of catalysts, says Ra, it may indeed seem a great waste of catalysts of pain. So it's it may seem like there is too much pain in the entity and a distortion towards feeling the tragedy of so much pain may be experienced by the other self. So another person may look at that person who is in so much pain and disease and illness or whatever it is uh, as something of a tragedy. What a tragedy that people are going through this, okay? However, it is well to hope that the other self is grasping that which it has gone to some trouble to offer itself. It is well to hope that the other self, so the person who is looking at the afflicted one, is grasping that which it has gone to some trouble to offer itself. I'm not sure I get that. But what I'm getting here, and I don't think that's what Ra meant, but what I'm getting here is that it is well to hope that the other, uh, the other self that is looking at the, the person afflicted as a sort of catalyst so to be able to to help them to offer themselves in help i don't think that's what they're saying there but that's what i think this scenario would be because imagine if you're dealing with somebody who is in so much pain family member friend somebody you take care um, what is there for you to do to offer i mean that's catalyst for you to offer yourself to help this person right that's what i see the that is the catalyst which it desires to use for the purpose of evolution. Yeah, I guess that's what they're trying to say. Maybe that's what it means. Um, but yeah, that's that's what I see. It is well to hope that the other self is grasping that which it has gone to some trouble to offer itself. Maybe the wording is weird, right? Because it is grasping that which has gone to some trouble or that which has gone yeah, which has been programmed to be a lot of trouble. Again, open to further interpretation, that's what I get here. So I usually don't cover the last question, but it was a long one. So I said, hey, why not? Plus we have time. Don says in question 28, 
I notice you started the session with I communicate now. You usually use we communicate now. Is there any significance or difference with respect to that? And then is there anything that we could do to make the instrument more comfortable or improve the contact? Uh, first, I'm bothered by the fact that I, I didn't put the single quote on, <laughs> on those in this paragraph. So if you're listening to this on Spotify or everywhere else, you're not noticing this, but if you're on YouTube, you're noticing and that bothers me. You're supposed to use one comma or quotes, inverted commas, instead of two within two. Anyhow. I know why I wanted to include this because I thought it was funny and it also leaves a lot to the imagination. <laughs> so why do you say I am Ra? Let me go back to my face here for those of you on YouTube. Um, let me give you a little bit of an anecdote because again, we have time. When I started to do the translations into Spanish of the Raw Contact, for you, those of you who don't know, the Raw Contact is only available in English and maybe some other languages, but it wasn't in Spanish. Spanish is a very, very huge um, um, population. And of course, I speak Spanish. I do this in Spanish too. And I said, let me do this because it's a, it's a gift, you know, for the people now in the future. So I decided to go through the raw contact. I know what kind of project that I get into. So um, I got some voluntary people to help me do the initial translations and I'll just finish doing, rereading the whole thing. It was a whole project. I've been talking about it for a while. It's been two years almost, uh, but it's finished. It's just waiting, awaiting publication. So I did notice that some people were doing the, the translation, uh, direct translation, as I suggested from DeepL and Google Translate. And it bothered me that because of that, I don't know why some people started changing at the beginning, I am raw to uh, um, we, we communicate, I'm sorry. They said, I communicate now or we communicate now. So when I, I was checking the translations, I noticed that people put, we communicate now, when Ra actually said, I communicate now. And I say, okay, it's not a big deal, but it bothers me. If in the original transcript, it says, I communicate now, then it should say, me comunico ahora, which is the correct translation, not nos comunicamos, which is we. I'm very anal with this stuff. And you can see why I, it was a huge catalyst for me to go through these translations. In the end, that I, I ended up reading the whole thing like three times and I'm still reading and making corrections. But I realized that that catalyst is because I love doing this. So I do it happily. Now, the point is that I looked it up and then I found in this session that Don noticed it and said, hey, why did you say I communicate now? And sometimes we say, you say, uh, we communicate now. I think it's like 20% of the time or so that they say, I communicate now as a singular person, right? Or as an individual. And the 80%, which is like 80 something sessions, they say, we communicate now, referring to them as a whole or a group. So I noticed that and that was funny. I liked it. And Ra is giving the explanation here, <laughs> which I thought it was funny. They say, I am Ra, we am Ra. 
you may see the grammatical difficulties of your linguistic structure in dealing with a social memory complex. There is no distinction between the first person singular and plural in your language when pertaining to Ra. <laughs> so I guess they just played with it. There is no particular reason. Uh, there is no, as Don actually thought in the beginning of the sessions, Don said, am I talking to a portion of the social memory complex or to the whole at some points? And Ra said, uh, no, you're talking to Ra. Ra is just this, you know, and uh, we blend our distortions so as to give the best answer possible. So it is, it's interesting, right? And Ra is saying here, your grammatical structure doesn't have uh, <laughs> doesn't have a, a helpful way for us to deal with I the singular Ra that we are and then we're made out of parts so again what we call ourselves is a mind and a body do we call ourselves us that would sound weird but we can call ourselves that we're a body complex you know instead of a social memory complex we are a body complex or mind body spirit complex we call ourselves singular so that's that's the point it's just some funny thing that they mentioned there let's just finish it up saying Ross says we offer the following not to infringe upon your free will but because this instrument has specifically requested information as to its maintenance and the support group does so at this query we may suggest that the instrument has two areas of potential distortion both of which may be aided in the bodily sense by the ingestion of those things which seem to the instrument to be desirable. We do not suggest any hard and fast rulings of diets, although we may suggest the virtue of the liquids. The instrument has an increasing ability to sense that which will aid its bodily complex. It is being aided by affirmations and also by the light, which is the food of the density of resting. Um, Food of the density of resting. Okay, so a couple of things here. We're talking about Carla here. So let's just let's 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 talk about this. Uh, remember, this is 1982, right? We're still in 1982. Is that correct? Yes, April 5th, 1982. And Carla is still undergoing this recovery, sort of recovery from the prior sessions in. Um, I would say uh, session 50 to 70 something, 75, 76. So in this recovery, diet was important uh, and her own mental determination, energy transfer and all of this. So Rai just given suggestions. Uh, only two things. They just mentioned a couple of things about her being sensitive to certain things and noticing what helps her best. That's something that we should all become aware of. I invite you to do this. You don't have to be channeling raw to pay attention to what your body is responding to certain foods. See how you feel the next day in the morning. See how you feel after you ingest coffee, green tea, uh, substances that you use, uh, whether you smoke cannabis or not, uh, CBD, all these substances and food in general. If you eat fast food still, how do you feel? Uh, feel good? All right. Well, keep doing it. Um, it's it's. Uh, I want to say, please stop eating fast food. Just because I was for years uh, an advocate of nutrition, but I mean, just 
see what it feels like. Don't don't let the mind destroy what you feel in the body. But again, just consider not eating fast food. It's just terrible. Uh, so yeah, all of this is is what they're suggesting. One little thing is when they say it is being aided by affirmations, which is something that uh, does help mentalization. And also by the light, which is the food of the density of resting. That is sixth density, if you didn't notice, because she's resting in, or her mind-body-spirit complex is resting in sixth density as she as she channels Ra. So that is also being of help. So, uh, then they say we may ask the support group to monitor the instrument as always so that in the case of the desire for the more complex proteins that which is the least distorted might be offered to the bodily complex which is indeed at this time potentially capable of greatly increased distortion so uh, better proteins so more complex proteins seem to me like animal protein so I think she was suggested to eat some meat and there we go then finally they say, I am Ra, we thank you, my friends, for your continued conscientiousness in the fulfilling of your manifestation of desire to serve others. You are conscientious. The appurtenance, appurtenances are quite well aligned. I am Ra, I leave you, my friends, in the love and in the light of the one infinite creator. Go forth, therefore, rejoicing merrily in the power and in the peace of the one infinite creator. Adonai. <laughs> I don't know about you, maybe it's just me being silly, but I I love the fact that they say, I am Ra, I leave you, and then they say, we thank you. They mix I and we. <laughs> uh, listen, if you haven't noticed, Ra has a very uh, silly sense of humor. Too basic for my likes. I think it was in session 36 or so, I forget, maybe 40 something, whatever. <laughs> Whatever it was, I'm laughing at how uh, stupid they are <laughs> because they are. I failed to get that cosmic joke on. Uh, we hope that your uh, that your project for for the book materializes because I just couldn't believe that they were so simple. Like that was so stupid. The raw material materializes. People have been explaining it over time in the comment section. And every time I, I read it, I just, you know, part of me says like, no, come on, their sense of humor must be a little bit, no, they're not. All right, they're terrible at making jokes, so please stop. <laughs> oh my God, really? <laughs> what a pun, that was so stupid. But it makes me laugh now. <laughs> All right, I guess you're funny, Ra. Funny like a clown. Uh, funny how. Get the quotes. Get the reference. And you're a good fella. Alright, conclusions. So, we finished this session um, mostly talking about the body. Uh, I want to go back to the part that I said it was the most helpful, which was this relationship. Um... Whether you are in a relationship or not, look at the catalyst that you have in front of you. You accepting the other person is your biggest catalyst. Uh, 
Uh, and again, whether you're, you're in a relationship or not, it could be your parents, it could be your siblings, it could be your, your own children, actually. It doesn't matter what kind of relationship you are in. And if you live alone, notice who you're attracted to, meaning it doesn't have to be a physical attraction, so to speak, but just attracted to mentally, spiritually, whatever it is, right? And see what catalysts they're bringing to you. Um, what are the things that you want to change in them? Why can't you accept them the way they are? And if that's not even enough, then look at the, you know, what makes up your life and your mind, you know, all these governments, they need to come down because blah, blah, blah. Well, that's your catalyst, my friend. Keep going. Everything is your catalyst as long as you want to control it, change it, manipulate it or something like that because it doesn't fit your little bubble. Yes, I know. You have to. I'm sorry. You have to challenge all your beliefs. Do it. You'll thank me later. And it's all about accepting the other. It's not, okay, I'm just going to accept others. Try it. A part of you is going to say, wait, that means that I need to accept that behavior? Yes. And it's not just, uh, in Spanish, I don't think it translates directly. These are called um, uh, false friends. Resignation? Deference? I don't, I don't, I don't know if that actually translates well. Go along with, yeah, it's not about going along with it. It's about you seeing that you have no objection. That's the thing. Acceptance is about having no objections. It's not about just saying, oh yeah, I accept everything. I am forcing myself to accept and I am resignating myself to it or going along with it. No, you don't. You don't go along with it. It goes through you. See, that's the difference. So, yes, that is my suggestion. That is my advice. Acceptance is checking within you that you don't have any resistance to it. That's the, that's the difficulty, you see, that you have don't no resistance. You don't have to show it to the other person. Like, you don't have to express it. You just have to become it. That is pure uh, presence, pure awareness, being there, knowing that that's who you are. That's all I got today. Thank you, as usual, for following me on this path with the Law of One. Uh, again, if you want to support me, I keep saying it, please consider supporting me on Patreon, which is my platform where you can go and get a little extra perks here and there. And the more people that there are there, the more things we can do. So, hey, consider joining. Uh, I want to thank all the people that also support me here on YouTube. I appreciate it. And that's it. I have nothing else to say. Oh, description box has all the links as usual. We have only 12, 13 more sessions to cover, and that's it. But that's still going to take me months and months, so we still have more material. Thank you again. Um, be well. Do what you want. That Let others judge you. Don't judge yourself. And I'll see you in session 84.